This is On and Off Your Mat podcast, episode four, the four pillars of yoga. My name is Erica and I'm your host. And once again, I'm happy to say that this episode is supported by Atleta in their efforts to ignite a community of strong women who empower each other. As you write a review for this podcast on iTunes, you will automatically enter the giveaway. I will give you all the details at the end of the show so we can get started. So for this episode, I sat down with Nikki Estrada. Nikki has been a prominent teacher for more than 20 years, lecturing, leading workshops, teacher trainings, and immersions nationwide. Her classes are alignment-based, with an emphasis on spirituality, meditation, and on living life more joyfully. Take a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. Uh, Nikki is one of my, or was one of my mentor when I did my yoga teacher training, and I really like how she teaches yoga from a global perspective. She brings in the big picture to class and into her workshop, so she encourages students to explore all of what yoga has to offer. Before we dig into our subject today, Nikki, can you say a little bit more about yourself so people can get to know you? Yes, I have been practicing yoga for... I think 25, 26 years now, mm -hmm. stumbled into yoga in college and fell in love from my very first class. <laughs> um, and then not that long after, ended up in India studying Ashtanga. And um, not long after that, ended up teaching, which I never, ever thought that I would. And um, it's been, now I realize as I'm getting older, I've been practicing yoga for more than half my life, so it's absolutely a lifelong practice, yeah. and um, yeah, and my passion, and I'm so lucky I discovered it so young and fell into teaching so young because I think that's pretty lucky to have found your passion and career absolutely. in one, and so early. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't practice Ashtanga anymore. I've gone through quite an, an array of changes over the years but at the heart um you know always yoga yeah um so our subject today is the four pillars of yoga for that purpose of the discussion can you define what is yoga to you like yoga in general yeah, yeah. it's a huge question i know it's a huge question and of course there's a million answers. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, why I'm talking answers. like the purpose of our discussion today. Yeah. Well, for me personally, probably in the simplest terms, yoga is getting to know yourself mm -hmm. at the deepest level possible and therefore getting to know life around you, the universe around you. Mm, I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to put it. In that idea or in that, in that case, why do people come to class in your opinion? Oh, I love this question. Seeking? I love this question. I had this like <laughs> aha epiphany moment a couple weeks ago um, that I know why every single person goes to yoga. <laughs> oh, you do? <laughs> I do. Every single person. At the very heart of it, I mean, you could say at a superficial level, some people go for stress reduction. Some people go to get fit. Some mm -hmm. people go to get flexible. But when you boil it down. But when you boil it down, everybody goes to yoga 
to feel good. I agree. We all want to feel good, whether it's relief from the mental stress, mm -hmm. um, relief from anxiety, anxiety depression, um, like physical discomfort, physical, really <laughs> yeah, being in physical pain, mm -hmm. feeling like you need um, a quieter mind, like whatever it is, or, or just escape from your, from your house, yeah, exactly. right? <laughs> escape from your children or whatever. <laughs> um, it's to feel good. At, at the core of it, we all are seeking to feel good. Mm -hmm. So... What are the four pillars of yoga? Well, this is something I sort of used as a simple framework, distilling, distilling kind of the key pieces of yoga. Mm -hmm. um, because I would say that for many years, I was only practicing one part of yoga. And I would say that's the first pillar. And if you really want to have yoga touch all aspects of your life and to really be something that supports you through all the different stages of your life, you can't just practice one thing. You kind of have to practice each one of these four pillars. So I define them as body, breath, mind, and diet. Mm -hmm. So if you're only focused on your body in terms of yoga, that's going to do a lot for you. But you're leaving out three other really powerful transformative pieces. Mm -hmm. Or if you're only focused on your mind, for instance, and and you're not addressing your diet or your physical body, there's gonna be things you aren't, you aren't able to tap into or heal or integrate. So it's sort of a, a distillation, um, you know, and there's many things that will fit into those categories, but an easy way to make your yoga practice more holistic. Mm -hmm. And is it about to balance it all together? Like, so your practice is not only yes. one piece, so it feels, you look for that balance within. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the yoga isn't just the body, like when you're on the mat and doing, you know, a physical practice. It's not just the poses, although that does a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's what most people, I would assume, in Western modern life are doing. They're, they're getting to the mat for that physical relief, right? They're doing the poses. But if they want yoga to be even more transformative, if they want to feel good more of the time mm -hmm. in more areas of their life. So not just the hour that they're on the mat. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And not just their body, not just their body feeling good. Um, then you have to address the other three. You have to start to take a look at your breath, right? Because how we breathe is, con it, they're all connected. Of course. And then your mind, because your mind is incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately your diet too, because what you put in your body is going to have a very direct effect on, you know, your experience and, yeah. and your health and your wellness. I like the image of four pillar, kind of a house sitting strongly on four pillars yeah. and not on three. And being right. Kind of, uh. right, right, right. <laughs> There's a stability there. Yeah. You're addressing like the four parts of the foundation mm -hmm. for a holistic life. So we, if we dive in into the first pillar, into the asana, the physical practice, yeah. other than feeling better in their body, mm -hmm. do you think people look for more or get more from coming on the mat into a public class? Explain that more. So they do the physical practice, maybe they have lower back pain, mm -hmm. maybe that feels better, mm -hmm. but maybe they still get out of their head. Maybe they still have a more focused mind or a clearer mind for a bit yes. while they're on the mat. Yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. I think that's the case. And for a lot of people, 
they may come for a more superficial reason. They may come to lose weight. Yeah. Or they may come because their hamstrings are tight. Or their doctor told them, you know, you should do yoga. So they may come, you know, without a lot of expectation about anything else. They might stay. They might stay and they might find that, wow, because of the time spent focusing my mind on the mat in my body, Mm -hmm. it's changing the way I'm thinking when I'm not on the mat. Mm -hmm. It's already opening that door. It's already opening that door. But, but. There has to be a bridge to actually make that leap. Mm-hmm. So And long-lasting. Long-lasting, yeah. Because it's only going to take you so far if you're just focusing your mind or you're just breathing well when you're on the mat in There's a pose. There's just so many hours you can be on your mat. That's right. right. <laughs> That's right. Right? And who doesn't want to feel good more than less? Right. right. And the fact is we all have to leave that mat and go do life. Yeah. <laughs> Right? We have to deal with the boss that's Mm -hmm. um, difficult or creates a lot of stress, or we have to face loss or financial challenge or whatever our challenges are. Um, Being a yogi doesn't mean you escape those things. It means you're given the tools to deal with them better. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, so you may come to the mat, I think, for a more superficial reason, but oftentimes something is sparked there. That was my case, for sure. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I mean, absolutely. In the beginning, it was... I was not searching for self-discovery when I first stepped on the mat. Right. You yeah. just wanted to feel good, right? Or you wanted a workout or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, me too. I, I think I was searching for something. I actually was having a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't... I, could, I couldn't even name that it was anxiety. I wasn't even that aware of myself to, yeah. to have a name for it. But looking back, I had a lot of anxiety. And I wasn't even consciously going to yoga saying, I want relief from that. Yeah. I just heard it was good. And it, it, it sounded cool. Swords have happened. Yeah. yeah. And I landed on the mat and I would have that sense of relief. Like, whoa, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't take an intro. I knew nothing about it. I don't know what I'm doing or what's happening here. But something mm-hmm. bigger and deeper is happening. I don't know what to call it. I don't know if that happens to everybody. <laughs> but it's happening to me. And it's starting to um, wake me up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know more about what this is. And do you think that that aspect makes yoga different than any other physical activity? Like picking up I running? Do. or I do. I mean, I do think people experience... Um, you know, runners, for instance, there's that adrenaline high or there's that um, being in the zone, like athletes mm-hmm. that talk about being in the zone. Um, so there is or can be a meditative quality to it. Um, but they those activities don't inherently have the mindfulness piece in them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you, you can run mindlessly or you can run mindfully. Or you can run with no awareness of your breath, or you can really incorporate regulated breathing into how you run. Um, whereas yoga has that sort of intrinsically, if you're, if especially if you start to address the four pillars, you know, yoga has that mind piece 
As, or in the minimum, party. you have a teacher that might remind you to do those things. Yeah. Or if you're running by yourself, you're by yourself. And if you're being mindless about it, you have no one pointing it out to you. Right. If you're on the mat in the class and the teacher says, helps you to refocus or come back to something, you're like, oh, yeah, I was away. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And why do you think we put so much attention on the physical practice here in the Western world? I mean, we don't. Yoga is not sold anymore as it was originally intended. We don't practice to sit after. Right. It's really rare that classes right. actually offer a meditation at the end. Right. So how come have we little for, we like we forgot about the other aspects? Honestly, it sounds <laughs> terrible, but I think it's because we're so superficial. Hmm. You know, I think in the Western world we're we're so focused on the body. And that's kind of a negative way of, of of answering the question, but I think it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I think is that it's tangible for us. Mm-hmm. The body is very tangible. You know, we can instantly, day one, first yoga class, never done yoga in your life, you can immediately feel the difference. Maybe we have like that knowledge that we understand when we do something with our body, the consequences more than yeah. when we do something with our breath. Yeah. Totally. Like it, there's it's maybe more a lack real. of education yeah. around the breath. Yeah. It's more real. I mean, to get people to sit and breathe mm-hmm. or to sit and meditate is a whole other ball of wax. But the average American is way more interested in getting on the yoga mat and getting a workout. Mm-hmm. I just think it's more practical. It's, it's a um, more tangible in. Yeah. And then if practice long enough, Either, as we were saying, something deeper is sparked and then you want to know what that is. And or you just realize, okay, and that, that's what happened to me. Okay, I've achieved those poses that I thought were like the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And now what? Now what? <laughs> Where I, do I go from here? Yeah, and okay, I'm pretty flexible here now. And I'm pretty strong here now. But now what? Mm-hmm. And you can only get so strong and so flexible. And then you're going to hit your end point for your particular body. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to move until the bones can't move anymore. <laughs> right? Yep. Or you can't get your muscles any stronger. And then what? Mm-hmm. It's kind of an end, right? Yeah. So that's a great moment, I think, to jump into it, the second pillar, which was pranayama. Yeah. Um, so... Just to continue on what you were saying, do you think that practice of pranayama takes a bit more time to take effect or for people to notice the difference? So in our society, you said superficial, but we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. So maybe it seems less efficient, like from a superficial way of seeing it. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's true. I think it's really true. And it is more subtle. Mm -hmm. And it can take, I think, a number of years, many years to get to the place where you're ready for that subtle work. Mm -hmm. Um, Asana sort of lays the foundation, right, to be more attuned to subtlety. You need some awareness. You need some connection. You need... Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it also sort of depends upon age a little bit. Um, You know, when you're younger, it's just harder to sit and be still. You just have a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And... um, it's hard to sit and be still. But especially, I think, once there's a number of years of the physical practice laid down, it, it actually does become a natural progression that um, 
you feel how potent the breath is. I mean, it really, for me, it's a game changer. If I could get on my mat and just go through a bunch of poses quickly, and it would just be this sort of movement, mm -hmm. this workout. But if it's synced with a really deep, controlled breath, I mean, it changes everything. It is the difference between a so-so practice and a wow practice where you just feel so good. Mm -hmm. You feel calm. You feel clear. You feel more connected. You feel connected. You feel peaceful. You mm -hmm. feel strong. You feel present. Your nervous system is relaxed. That comes from the breath. Mm -hmm. So once you've had those years, I think, laying the foundation, it it will be, if you're interested, a natural progression. You will want to start to breathe more focused in a deeper way, maybe not in the midst of such a challenging physical shape where you can feel the nuances of the breath. Mm -hmm. So I think some of it's just gonna come as a natural you know, progression and some of it's maybe a little bit age-related. Um, sometimes people that are a little bit older are a little more interested in the yeah. subtlety. You know, if you enter yoga at 60, your physical capability is going to be a little bit different mm -hmm. than starting at 20. And you're seeking something different as well, probably. And you're seeking something different, yeah. Maybe, you know, you've had a very stressful career, you mm -hmm. know, working a corporate life or a lot of commuting and or a lot of life challenge, and you crave <laughs> to sit and Quietness. be still yeah. and, yeah, and breathe, yeah. So what's the first pranama you teach or that you would suggest people start with? I think the basis of all the other pranayamas is ujjayi, mm -hmm. is learning how to regulate inhalation and exhalation. Um, this would be interesting to do some research on statistics, but I'm pretty sure that most Western people don't breathe very deeply. Mm, for sure. And it's very common that people breathe in reverse order. Inhale, suck your belly in, exhale, let your belly out. Whereas we want the opposite. We want inhale to be really big and full and the diaphragm to go all the way down and maybe the belly expands a little bit mm -hmm. and then exhale the contraction. So getting a hold of that through ujjayi breathing, I think is like the preliminary. It has very few contraindications. It's a little bit heating. So if somebody's experiencing way too much heat, then you might not use ujjayi. But um, you can do a full yogic breath without having the... The contraction in the throat. throat. Absolutely, yeah. So like most entry level would be to start reclining, just lying on your back because then your whole spine is supported mm -hmm. and just beginning to you know slow it down, to inhale slowly, feel that the ribs expand and again the belly and then to exhale mm -hmm. slowly so that you gain control. That's the, like the initial entry to get control of respiration and do you think it's easier for people to learn like the basic pranayama within the physical movement like ujjayi or it's easier recline not moving i think it's easier reclined not moving because they're focusing on one thing at a time yes <laughs> now i mean there's always the exception to the rule yeah. i've seen over the years people that are especially athletic very connected to their bodies, they often can can right away jump in, get deep breath along with. And it's probably harder for them to be still. Yes, and <laughs> yes, exactly. But for the average person to, to separate it out from a hard pose or a pose where they're being challenged, 
you know, put them in a comfortable place. Sitting is hard for people mm-hmm. physically. Yeah. So reclining is really, and sometimes a little bit of prop support, like a little bit of a cushion underneath just to elevate up slightly. Mm-hmm. But to be comfortable so they can really focus all of their attention on how they're breathing. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend next? If people do Jai or they do that controlled breath, mm-hmm. what comes next? Yeah. Well, two things. You could change up the ratio mm-hmm. of inhalation and exhalation. That gets a little more fancy and a little more complicated. So adding a count and adding a count that. and mm-hmm. you know, depending on the person, the time of day and kind of their general um, constitution, you would lengthen inhale versus mm-hmm. exhale or the other way around. So that's the kind of thing where you know, I would generally suggest you want to work with someone that mm-hmm. can help you skillfully know what what's the ideal ratio for you to begin to play with. So that would be one is just switching up the lengths. The other would be alternate nostril breathing, mm-hmm. a really, really key pranayama in much of yoga. And no contraindications barring nasal obstruction. So if you have a deviated septum or for some reason you're, you're mm-hmm. clogged, really clogged in one side, then you cannot do that. But um, this pranayama balances the left and right sides of the body and the brain. So it relates to the left side, relates to the ida, the kind of cooler, mm-hmm. more feminine mm-hmm. moon channel. And the right side to pingala, which is sun, prana, more masculine, energizing. Mm-hmm. So the general rule of thumb is um, practicing this breath early in the day. You want to begin through the right side, go over to the left, inhale left, exhale right, so and through the energizing. right. It's more energizing. So you could do many rounds of that alternate nostril, um, beginning and ending on the right. And then if it's late in the day you want to begin and end through the left. So that is a very, very good basic pranayama with no contraindications other than blockage. Mm -hmm. Um, That would be recommended for just about anybody. And what's your favorite? Oh, Do you have one favorite? Gosh, you know what? I've never thought about that. Um, Or what's the one you practice more often than others? Well, for sure, Ujjayi, Mm -hmm. for sure. I definitely have a special affinity for Kapalabhati. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not something that I should be practicing all the time, <laughs> also seasonally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do love alternate nostril. Mm-hmm. I do love alternate nostril. That's probably more than Kapalabhati. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to come back to one thing you said, how people should seek a teacher to help them. Mm-hmm. Do you think that might also be a reason why people don't practice as much because they've They're afraid to just do it on their own or they don't know how. And if it's not taught in class and specifically pranayama. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's intimidating because how do you know it is more subtle and how do you know? Mm -hmm. And it depends on how much exposure you've had and to what kind of yoga. But there's definitely in the yoga world, there's a little bit of, um, ooh, be careful Mm -hmm. with pranayama. Be careful. You better have a teacher before you do pranayama. And that's good and bad. I mean, do you think people could do a jai on their own? Sure, sure, absolutely. I mean, follow a good video online that really breaks it down. Um, Absolutely. Um, Same with alternate nostril. Mm -hmm. The more advanced ones, you know, 
honestly, in my in my public classes, when I look at people working with Kapalabhati in a level two, three, I mean, 75% of the room, 80% of the room has very little control of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They have not yet learned. Okay, so they're at the level two, three class working on ujjayi, getting the ujjayi really deep and regulated within asana. And when we switch to the focus on the navel center and coordinating muscularly this yeah. more advanced practice, ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> ain't happening. Like the belly is barely moving and or the chest. The rhythm gets yes. lost. Yeah. Or there's, it's a or challenging the one. Face too. is hard. <laughs> like there's so much intensity going on. They're trying on. so hard. Trying so hard. Yeah. Um, so they really would ideally need one-on-one help, like what, what, what they could do to build up to it and what they're doing wrong or what they're doing that's making it harder on themselves. Mm -hmm. So, because you're not going to go and correct them in the middle of it, like you would do or assist them, like you would do with a physical practice. If there's something obvious, triangle pose, you might say it, but if I try, yeah, you do. I do. I do. Especially lately. Um, because it's, as we're recording this, it's coffee season and I'm tending to do more of that breath of fire, you know, to get the energy yeah. going and build the inner heat. And I just see terrible posture. <laughs> a lot of, despite me having addressed it over and over and over again, people aren't always aware of what they're actually doing. They may think they're taking in the alignment cues when they're not. And I see a lot of rounding and a and lot of tension. it's so hard to breathe into your belly if yeah. you're rounded and you're constricting that yes. area of your body. Yes. So I will cruise along and gently put my knee against their lower back and pull the mm-hmm. spine up and pull the shoulders back and whisper a suggestion sometimes in the middle of it. But um, yeah, it's, it's advanced breathing. It's advanced breathing. So you don't start with that for sure. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's move on to the other pillar, which is meditation. Yes. A few words. Why do you think it's important to be to have meditation part of a practice? I think it's essential. I might get in trouble for this. <laughs> but I think that you can't call yourself a yogi mm. if you don't meditate. And that might piss some people off. But <laughs> um, yeah. Like, it's just so, so, so important because the understanding, the self-understanding that comes from getting still with yourself is just not something you can access in the same way doing a lot of posture Mm -hmm. or even the breath because it's mostly a non doing activity as odd as that sounds yeah. i mean there depending on your style of meditation how you're meditating there's technique involved there's almost always a technique involved mm-hmm. um but the technique is to get you underneath all the thinking mm-hmm. the technique is to get you underneath all of the activity So when you're in a pose or even to some degree when you're doing pranayama, you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And in order to really access those deeper states, you have to be able to get still. You have to be able to let go and go inside. And it's scary. I get it. It's scary. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to do. 
but it's the number one way, I think. So of the of the four pillars, I'm gonna put like a star <laughs> next to the meditation because I think our minds are that powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's the number one way in which you're gonna make big change in other areas of your life. By accessing the quiet, by seeing all the nonsense that's going on in that head all the time, so that you can unplug from that nonsense and maybe retrain it. Yeah, take a step back, see the big picture. Maybe maybe a different story about yourself and your life. And it comes from the meditation. It really, really comes from the meditation. So you're talking about a quiet, like a Vipassana meditation or not like a guided or... I don't personally practice Vipassana Mm -hmm. style meditation. I mean, for years, when I was first introduced to meditation, it was Eric Schiffman. And he gave, his teacher was Krishnamurti Mm -hmm. and Iyengar. And I believe the meditation came from Krishnamurti. I'm not 100% on that, but... Um, he later discovered Joel Kramer, who's actually local to Marin County, um, in terms of the energetics and the breath and more of a freestyle movement of asana. But, but I learned meditation from Eric, and I was in my 20s, and mm-hmm. it was very hard for me. And he offered an array of techniques, but what really worked for me back then was kind of like a non-denominational technique of counting the breath. Mm-hmm. It was one certain method, and I used it for many years, and it really got me quiet. It helps you, you're focused. It It helps helps you take your mind. I needed that structure. Um, It felt non-doing to me, Mm -hmm. the way in which this counting played out, and it really relaxed my nervous system. But then eventually, as I studied more and more, I I discovered Tantra and... and, um, you, you, my yoga practice was really influenced by Rod Stryker, mm-hmm. the energetics portion of it, the philosophical portion of it. Um, I made the leap into a more of a tantric style of meditation, which there's uh, hundreds and thousands of different yeah. meditation techniques, yeah. but m- mainly shifting into mantra mm-hmm. and the use of a mala. So you're actually using your hand and repeating a Sanskrit mantra. Um, but I think I needed all those years of sort of a a basic technique Mm -hmm. because it was hard at first to make that shift. It felt very much mechanical and like I'm doing something as Mm -hmm. I'm having to to go with the mala and that I was, you know, saying something in my mind. Um, for me, it was reverse. The mala is easier or was easier and is where I started with mantra and mala Mm -hmm. and then... I slowly moved away from, okay, I don't need this anymore. I can put it down Got and it. not do anything. Yes. It was like a stepping stone yes. to not doing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that really is what can happen to with, even within the mala is that you get underneath it all and you're, there's less of a doing and there's a feeling mm-hmm. that you're having from the mantra. But yeah, I mean, there's so many techniques that it, it just depends on the person, what works. I mean, one way in which I, I often teach meditation is by giving people um, a few different ways. Because most of us will immediately feel like, oh, could not do that. That mm-hmm. was painful. I struggled. Too difficult. Yeah. Or that was the one. That one worked for me. It doesn't mean it was easy, but that worked for me. 
I like that one. Yeah. So most of us will very quickly have an affinity towards something if we're exposed to a few different techniques. Do you include in that guided meditation, do you feel like people can tap the same way into observing themselves when it's guided? As long as there is enough space given. So when I lead, I lead a live stream meditation through my website mm -hmm. every morning. And what I do in that is begin with the body because, again, that's the most yeah. foundational. And we all need to be comfortable as we sit. So we spend a few minutes literally aligning and attending to the body, letting go of stress, stacking the vertebra, et cetera. And then a bit of a check-in that happens as we kind of, okay, here I am, I'm sitting, what's going on? What's going on with me emotionally? What's going on with my body? Just that awareness. Mm -hmm. And then I move into a technique, whichever technique I'm offering that day. And then once we get underway with technique, big pockets of silence. Mm -hmm. So for someone who finds it hard and they have a lot of resistance, they're being supported by me. I'm right there. In the beginning, they hear my voice more. Mm -hmm. And then they hear my voice less. So you do give them space. I do. Mm -hmm. I think it's a delicate thing because if you just totally go away for 15 minutes, then people are probably yeah. swirling. <laughs> and, and then once we do kind of enter the silence, I'm mindful that, okay, it's probably been a little chunk of a time. Let me give them a verbal reminder. Like, and it's to myself too. Is, are your shoulders gripping? Have you started mm -hmm. to sink into your back? Are, are you distracted? Come back. Mm -hmm. Let go of tension. Remember your body. Remember your breath. Back to technique. So I, I help us. In so that's a great way for beginners. Yeah. Yeah. And then, container. Yeah. And then ultimately to develop the discipline to do that on your own. Because mm -hmm. there's going to be those times where you're traveling or what, you know, you, you don't have someone there with you. Yeah. So, But I think the community aspect of, you know... Having all of us, sometimes I'll say at the end of a public class, because it doesn't say meditation on the schedule, but I insert some, here we are for one minute sitting together, collectively supporting mm -hmm. each other and just being. Whether that's easy today or difficult, here we are. <laughs> so I think there is some, some power to the collective mm -hmm. sometimes with meditation. Okay, so let's go to diet. Uh, do you actually talk about diet in your public classes? I don't get into it too much. No. I might make subtle references, but it's so big. Mm -hmm. It's such a huge topic. Yeah. Um, and that's not really the place. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it would be a lecture or a one-on-one -on -one <laughs> conversation. I can insert nuggets. Yeah. Um, and it's usually related seasonally. Like I'll make a general suggestion, like it's coffee season, so it's a good time to eat lighter, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Or it's vata season, time to get out the crock pot and your soups and you need mm -hmm. warming and grounding. But it's really general. I can't go into a lot of detail in a public class. Mm -hmm. So you do more on one-on-one -on -one or online? Exactly. Yeah, where you can really get into the nitty-gritty and um, also in in um, certain workshops. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if I lead something on the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, diet is addressed yeah. there. So, in that case, absolutely. Um, in the Yoga Sutras, there isn't really anything about diet. So, um, 
I don't go into it there. Do you feel it's part of the scope of a yoga teacher to know about or to have? I think it should be. Mm -hmm. I think it should be. Um, Maybe not in the early years because yoga is so huge Mm -hmm. and there's so much to know. Um, But eventually you have to get there, I think, because it is a part of yoga. It's a huge part of Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. And those go hand in hand, really. So ultimately... Understanding your unique composition, we're all different. Um, there is no one diet for everyone. Mm-hmm. So all of the fad diets, like everybody should eat raw <laughs> or everybody should eat, I don't know, what is another one, paleo or, yeah. you know, it, it, it really, it, it's nonsense. Each person and also time of life, yeah. Um, you know, should have a, a diet unique to them. Mm-hmm. There aren't 100% no's on everything or 100% yes on everything. Um, it should be tailored to the individual. And how do you think that tailoring your diet will help support your practice? Oh my gosh, it's, <laughs> it's big. I mean, at the heart of both Hatha Yoga mm-hmm. and Ayurveda, the navel center mm. and your agni, that's your, your, your spiritual your, yeah. and physical digestive fire. There's a few types, but um, to make it simple, mm-hmm. this is the source of spiritual growth and optimal health. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Ayurveda, having a balanced agni, a fire that's not too hot, not too weak, a healthy, strong fire is the key to your health. Ayurveda would tell you that most disease begins Mm -hmm. with an imbalance in your digestion. So diet has every, what we put in in and onto that fire is gonna affect it. So number one, our physical health. Healthy versus disease. Exactly, yeah. Quantity, quality, frequency, Mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, in in terms of food. And then, According to yoga, building the spiritual fire in the same part of the body is how we transform. Hmm. So if that part of the body is bogged down and toxic and um, not able to process food or life appropriately, then we're not going to get very far. We're going to just keep repeating the same old uh, uh, challenges and problems that we came to yoga with. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of the key to everything, really, is the navel center. Mm -hmm. Can it be just as simple as not feeling depleted when you practice, feeling that you have energy to be on the mat? Sure. You have energy to be doing everything else you have to do as well. And in fact, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika says that. Like, you have to, you should not be fasting or depleting yourself to a point of, not having good energy. Mm -hmm. You need to have good energy in order to do the deeper spiritual work. And it also relates to Dharma. Like if you're going to fulfill your deeper purpose in this world, you need to have the energy to do Mm -hmm. that. You should have enough fuel and enough comfort and basic, you know, necessities of life in order to do that deeper work. So starving yourself or Overeating. Overeating yeah. is the other other end of it. But mm-hmm. all of that's going to impede um, your mm-hmm. growth, your health physically, but also your growth spiritually. Yeah, because they go again in hand. Yes. 
Do you consider mindful eating or only like eating for your constitution or for the season or for... Both. Yeah. I mean, everything. Mm -hmm. The more um, present and calm and loving we are, um, you know, when we sit down to eat, the better. Best not to eat when you're stressed out or you're really upset. Mm -hmm. Um, The more you can eat home-cooked food the better. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just can't. Yeah. But the quality of food, not only like the freshness and, and what ingredients we put in, but the fact that we make it ourselves, we know where it comes from. Not only it tastes so much better. Yeah. But and don't you feel you. it? I mean, once in a while you're tired and you go out to dinner yeah. and it's just easy. But my husband and I always say we never feel as good afterwards. You spend mm-hmm. all this money to go out and then you just feel kind of bogged down by it. Because most restaurants put so much heaviness. Mm -hmm. Not that butter is bad or wrong. It's very unique to the person. But there's just so much put in it to try to make it taste good. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of crap put in it too. So, yeah. So the more fresh, healthy, home-cooked, less processed, whole ingredients, the better. So that's a good place to start for people without going deep into Ayurveda. Yeah. Start by trying to prepare your own meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one thing I try to do because I'm busy and I have two kids um, is a couple times a week, just totally depends on the day, whenever I can squeeze it in, try to make a few big recipes, like mm-hmm. a crock pot, something, because I know we won't eat it all in one meal and I can eat on it for a few days during the week for lunch or a big thing of roasted vegetables, you know, things I can yeah. make in a large amount. And even if I'm, you know, eating it five days later, okay, it wasn't the day I made it. It's still homemade, good ingredients. And I, I know I'm, I'm set for the week for healthy food. Yeah. Even when I'm busy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That was a lot. It was, it was still just, we're introducing all those concepts, but We'll let people wrap their mind around this. Um, before we conclude, any last suggestion or recommendation? How do people go about all of this? Oh, well, <laughs> they can find me. Yeah. So if you go to my website, I have up up there, NikkiAstradaYoga. I'll put all the links in the show notes. Yes. Um, I have, you'll see, I have a workshop on the four pillars. I'll be doing a live stream lecture for four Thursdays in April. Mm. It's through my membership, so it's $25 for the month, and then you have access to these live streams. That's a good deal. If you just want those, you can cancel after the month, and you don't have to stay on in the membership, but it's part of the membership. Mm -hmm. Um, So four Thursdays in April, and I will speak, give give this live lecture online on each of the four pillars, so I can get into it in much more detail than, than we were able to talk today. And if you're able to join me live, you know, you can type in questions. So I will answer questions as I go. That's great. Um, And just keep, you know, doing your yoga and inquiring. You know, you'll come across an interesting workshop at your local studio on Ayurveda or on pranayama or on meditation. You know, the old saying of when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So Mm -hmm. just having that interest and opening your eyes and saying, okay, I'm ready for more. I'm looking for the pranayama workshop or I'm looking for a meditation technique that works for me. You'll find it because it's out there. It's growing more and more and more everywhere. Mm -hmm. One last thing I want to touch on before we finish is 
people might say, but what about the other aspects of yoga? What about、mm-hmm. yamas or niyamas?、Mm-hmm. What about、mm-hmm. service and community、mm-hmm. and devotion or、mm-hmm. gaze, mudra? Where does that all come in? Anywhere you want it to, really. <laughs> I mean, it's so huge. It's、mm-hmm. so huge. I mean, you, you could put,、um, for instance, service. That could be under the category of attending to your body, you know, that you, you give of yourself in、mm-hmm. some capacity on a regular basis. And there's many, many branches of yoga. Yeah. Many. Some don't include any asana, right? Most include meditation, some don't include any pranayama.、Um, So, it really, the, the, all the bigger techniques of yoga, tantra, Ayurveda, they really plug in somewhere to those four pillars.、Mm-hmm. I've just distilled that as like an easy framework. Yeah.、Um, place to start. Yeah, place to start. But sure, absolutely. I mean, there's so much more that we didn't even talk about. Yeah. Astrology, <laughs> Vedic astrology. The use of herbs, I mean, that comes into Ayurveda and then、mm-hmm. therefore diet. I mean, it's, it's endless.、Yes. The question is does it support you?、Mm-hmm. Does it ultimately, in the big picture, make you feel good? Yeah. So that's the end result of using the four pillars or the, what you're seeking from、mm-hmm. using the four、mm-hmm. pillars. You start to feel really good. When you are in your optimal balance, you feel good. Mm hmm. Right? You feel good. You feel healthy. You feel clear. You feel strong. You feel loving. You feel open to learning and different parts of life. There's a vibrancy. When you are really in harmony, there's a vibrancy. So, by tapping into the four pillars, you support yourself to access that vibrancy. Well, that sounds like a great plan. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me today. That was super interesting. Thank you. Thanks so much, Erica. Thank you so much for listening. We have other great guests coming up, so make sure to subscribe. Now, if you want to make my day and get your chance to win a $75 gift certificate from Atleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes and write a review. As you leave a review, you automatically enter the giveaway, and I will announce the winner on the next episode. If you're not sure how to do that, I'll leave detailed instruction in the show notes with all the info you need to know about our guest. You'll find them at ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast. And I write my first name with a K. Once again, thank you, and until next time. <laughs>